0: Hello again, welcome everyone to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. So that's what we got going on, folks. Welcome back again. Honored to be with you here. I love doing this stuff. Uh, I fell a little bit behind. It's been a full summer here. been a great summer. I've been loving it, loving it, loving it. But a full one, uh, certainly a joy of it has been to have seminarian Robert Williams here with us. Had uh, Bruce Sander here last summer and another seminarian here again this summer. And I love that they're here because there's just, you know, the you get a whole different take on priestly ministry when you're in rural Oklahoma. You see a lot. You know, I serve different, three different churches and each one is so dang different each one is really really different um one is kind of medium size you know here in Poto we get 200 plus people on a on a normal weekend and the others are you know 30 people 40 people maybe um bilingual stuff spanish stuff you know all kinds of other miscellaneous things so you get a get a big take things so i've been having a good time with him and uh, we're also doing a youth group we're putting together a middle school youth group and high school youth group and that should be pretty awesome we've hired someone, Lisa, to kind of help um, support those ministries um, but part of the part of the uh, the crunch of the summer was, was finding someone to fill this position so we're blessed to have Lisa there Uh, another kind of complication of me not being able to record this was I was gone for five days, present for five days, gone for five more days, and now I'm back. So hopefully I'll have a little bit more regularity in recording this. Anyways, blessings to you all. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to continue our series on the simple teachings of the revealed God, and we're actually going to focus on a little bit more on that term revelation in the sense that it's not necessarily... Mm, you know, we take it for granted, and we don't really think about it, and we have to think about it. We, we really do have to think about it, and we have to think about it because today, people ignore it. People ignore it. So, we're going to address that today. We are going to address that today, so I'm pretty excited here. Um, let's begin with a prayer. Sound all right? Pretty good. Let's pray in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Jesus, you have revealed yourself. You've called us to be by your side. You call us to, to um, open up our hearts, open up our ears, open up our, our minds to your love, to your grace. That you actually literally came to us in history, and that's just pretty dang amazing. And we ask that in our history we continue to be recipients of your divine love and grace and salvation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen 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 all right my friends so today we're gonna like I mentioned get into revelation what the heck is revelation now again like I mentioned at the beginning I don't know if I said it like super super dang clear but salvation excuse me revelation happened through history it happened through history Um, it's a real real thing that God has stepped beyond, from beyond the veil of eternity and entered into history. He sent emissaries, missionaries, from beyond that veil into the, into the world. We call those prophets and patriarchs of the Old Testament. You know, they, they had true messages from the eternal God in history. God made his mark on history before Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he was super real. He was a historical being. <laughs> you know, uh, this is just insane. This is insane. And he had historical encounters with people. Uh, it's just super amazing. So, you know, we we need to continue to wake up to what we hear. There's a there's a document in from the Vatican, from the Second Vatican Council, called *Dei Verbum*, the Word of God, and it addresses the revelation of God and how that's communicated to us primarily through uh, tradition and Sacred Scripture. Those are the vehicles to transmit that original revelation that was given to us in its entirety in Jesus Christ. But it, and in that, it talks about that these previous years talking about the, you know the time period right before the second Vatican II, these intervening years have also witnessed a growing awareness of the, quote, Trinitarian and salvation historical horizon of revelation, against which Jesus Christ is to be acknowledged as mediator in fullness of revelation. So it's saying like, hey, look, Jesus gave it all in that revelation. He's the one who pulled back that veil. Think of the word revelation. It's revealing or unveiling what was previously veiled. And so it's it's a stepping forward from beyond that veil into our history here and today. So it's kind of again in a nutshell what revelation it means. It means that God comes to us from eternity into our history. That means he has an a historical impact. He can be studied through archaeology, through historical sciences through the study of of you know the the tools of history of looking back at these early works that we know as the gospels or the writings of St Paul and these others to identify you know that there was a historical reality there and we can kind of grow from that we can grow from that and this document from the second Vatican II talked about that it was you know it's it's where it's it's where this comes from. It, we have to go back to the history. We have permission to study the life of Jesus through the historical works. Because he is a historical being. He is a historical being. That is super cool, isn't it? Now, this is also under attack. And it's under attack under the guise of an error called modernism. You know, we think of like, hey, we're in the modern times. Well, of course we're gonna have like modern thoughts, modern opinions, modern blah, 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 blah. Part of the modern reality is that there have been new sciences developed. Think of like chemistry, physics, the, the deeper, more technical study of history. Uh, all these kind of different things. And the cool thing is that Jesus can be studied through all these things because he adopted a human body. Therefore, he's going to be known chemically and biologically. And he, you know, when he pushes something, that other thing moves because of him. So through physics, we can understand Jesus. You know, We don't have his body here anymore, so it's a little bit tricky. But there's also the historical sciences of being able to take two documents, compare them with each other, Uh, look at some tricks of the trade, uh, in a manner of speaking, to highlight that, like, oh, yeah, wow, look at that. There's a real historical truth behind there. Now, sometimes this is called the academic heresy. And so let's get to this now. And it's academic heresy because it's using the modern sciences in an inappropriate way to address something of faith but excluding the faith. So it's saying like, hey, only these earthly sciences are relevant, and we actually have to exclude the theological sciences. They're not only distinct, but they're incompatible, which is not what we believe. So there's a common sense argument here that's wrong, but it's a common sense argument that says Jesus Christ was a historical being, and we can only truly understand him via historical sciences. It's like yeah okay we can do that, but it's that word only that throws us off. So first, it's kind of proposing a div- divergence of the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. The New Testament, the, excuse me, the New Testament is more of an embellishment of a believing community. The historical Jesus came, and the community had faith in him. And therefore, what they wrote was their interpretation from their faith. And so they almost seem to provide a costume to that historical Jesus. And that costume is, is, uh, is using faith to make the historical Jesus appear in a certain way. But it's not necessarily a historical Jesus. Again, this is what this modernism theory, error, heresy proposes and as a result there are some questions well this means that his intelligence is it really beyond our experience maybe he really can't know anything that we couldn't know how could he actually have like an eternal um, infinite intelligence beyond ours you know we can't imagine that that's beyond our experience therefore you know it's probably not so real or it's at least put into doubt Maybe he really didn't know his identity. Maybe he didn't have that self-knowledge of his divine identity. Maybe he, you know, that's kind of put into doubt as well. There's the questions about his miracles. Like, well, okay, you know, we, that's beyond our experience. That's beyond anything that history has proven in the past. So they say, I disagree with that. I think there have been very, very much proven miracles in history. However, they're gonna say, well, you know, you can't we've never seen a, a, a miracle in history, and therefore when Jesus is doing these miracles, you know, how can we really say those are historical? They're also gonna say the New Testament is a really inspired. How can that really happen? You know, what the heck does that mean? So all of a sudden they are taking what is historical and excluding any possibility that that there could be a divine intervention here this is what revelation is it is the divine intervention in history and it is based on the eternal God the eternal God is the the mover of all these events in history and they say you know what we we just can't know that we have to separate that out we're just going to put that on one side The, the community of believers is what has given to us the church and the doctrine of the church but we have to use our historical sciences apart from that and that's that's not legitimate that's not legitimate because the, the faith is substantial <laughs> like we believe first and foremost that Jesus was a, was was real he was a divine person a divine event in history this is why we even look to scripture we don't look to scripture Uh, because there's wisdom there. We look to scripture because there's divinity there, because there's grace there, because this is the divine intervention that saves us. So we approach scripture. We approach the tradition because we know already through faith that there's something there. Without this, the Bible is just a cool book. And no, we don't believe that. So if you were to put that into question, you're also putting into question all of your faith you need to be able to distinguish between these different sciences of the biology the chemistry the history the the theology even you got to distinguish because the each does have their own method but you never exclude you never separate to the point of they're no longer relating with each other they are relating with each other which makes it super complicated but i mean who in the world says that uh, the fact that it that a divine person becomes human flesh isn't complicated. That's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts, but it's true. It's nuts in the sense that it's like totally confusing to us. We don't really understand how that happens, though we can say it very clearly, but it's just beyond our experience. So this is the idea of modernism. It takes the faith out of the study of Jesus. It takes the faith out of the study of Jesus, or at least questions. It puts it on hold. It... It'll, it gives "quote unquote" freedom, liberty to look at Jesus without the eyes of faith, and and that's not right. Um, John Henry Newman attacked this idea strongly, profoundly. Pius 10th he he really beat on this pretty pretty strong. All these Piouses, you know, there's a Pius X, Pius XI, Pius, XI, Pius XII. There was in 1864 this document called the syllabus of errors and it kind of just was like this is what modernism says boom 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 and there's a whole bunch of listing of these things this document that i mentioned from the second vatican council on divine revelation De verbum um, benedict the 16th john paul ii hit on this as well as it kind of spread into other parts of of theology regarding ethics or, you know, different things of that nature, uh, study of sacred sacred scripture more specifically. So it's covering multiple centuries, but the church has come up out really, really strong against this. So, (laughs) we need to be aware. Uh, One of the things that came forth from the Second Vatican Council was saying, okay, you know, it's legitimate to use the historical sciences to look at the four gospels, but also by faith we need to say that the gospels are historically reliable the gospels are historically reliable you can read those and count on them if it says there's a miracle there's a miracle if jesus says something he says something i mean we need to recognize that they are reliable you know we still use our brains to look at these realities that are there because sometimes the divine author might um be writing in a a very human way because they're totally human, but it's also in a very divine way. So we count on them being historically reliable. Our common faith says Jesus was a historical being and therefore we can use historical sciences. Jesus was a divine being, and therefore, yes, we can use divine sciences. That is to say, faith. (laughs) That is to say, faith. That's part of this. You know, there's no theology without faith, because faith. Excuse me, theology is defined as faith seeking understanding. You know, I believe in this Lord, and I want to know Him more. I want to know Him more. Uh, I will say that Pope Benedict the Sixteenth has done an extraordinary job in bringing back the study of scripture under the umbrella of theology because for a good chunk of time people were just looking at those books as a i mean i'm making a huge generalization here but there was a large vein within the study of scripture that was merely looking at it through the historical lens and no longer kind of taking into account the faith dimension but. Pope Benedict. Man, he just did so dang good. And he actually brought it to a popular level through his books, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Is that what that's called? Jesus of Nazareth. Um, He wrote them as a Pope, but he also distinguishes like, I'm writing this not as the Pope, but as a human person. What I'm writing here is not infallible, but this is me as a theologian, a personal theologian doing this. So it's rather interesting. Very good. Very good, very good, very good. Now, This modernism has broader impacts, because it is attempting to reconcile the Catholic faith with modern culture. With modern culture. And not in the sense of a cooperation, but in the sense of, you know, we're we're trying to use the categories of the world to understand the faith. Now, if you remember what I had said originally, when I'm just talking about revelation, God speaks, He's the one who's revealing, and here we are, just to receive. we are hearers of the Word, we're hearers of the Word. that's kind of saying like we just have our hands open uh we're not you know it's kind of like trying to catch a ball, but you don't know what exactly the ball is going to be when it's thrown at you. It could be a baseball, it could be a a pool ball, it could be a beach ball, it could be Um, A Cracker Jack, you know, I don't know. It could be a box. You don't know what's going to be thrown at you. So you're going to have your hands and arms open in order to catch anything of any size. And you're just going to be ready there. Now, modernism is, is going to be saying, okay, here's my modern categories. These are the categories that I have learned at school today. And I will receive Jesus and place all these different truths about Jesus in a particular box, in a particular bucket, in a particular way of understanding. So, for example, we've talked about this rationalistic approach to Scripture. Rationalism is the use of the mind, which excludes uh, divine intervention. Um, Being rational is good, but being rationalistic is not good because it excludes the faith dimension. Or we could say that there's another way, uh, another bucket of modern culture that has formed how we receive um, what, is, what is good and healthy from God. So in politics, this is in politics. It's a common sense idea that politics is to aim at what's good for everyone. Whatever, whatever way works to get there, that's great. But the modern way of thinking is say, says we need to follow the majority. The majority will lead us appropriately, even if it's not for the good. <laughs> so, but you know, the ancient philosophy that the Catholic Church has found that to uh, work with very well with the, with the idea of God uh, and how God created human beings is, you know, whatever works to get to the good, as opposed to the idea of whatever works so that the majority can rule. The majority is not always right. The majority is not always good. (laughs) Sometimes it is, and that's okay. But, But for us, we focus on what is good. We focus on what is good. We think of even the pastoral theory of the day. With our modern world, there's a big focus on efficiency. And therefore, in pastoral theory, we can focus on efficiency over love, over faith, over hope. It's a big error thinking of sexual ethics we turn to interpret the sexuality that God has established in the human being not through the lens of God and what what the Lord teaches us of having the sexuality for deeper union between man and woman and for procreation but it becomes interpreted through the individual uh, i you know love is now this experience this emotion and it's kind of limited to that and therefore sexual ethics falls into place to pursue the greatest experience for me and the and a particular emotional experience which is which is not sexual ethics that is that is going to be very healthy even though it's super common also through our modern lens we have a a a sad way of even thinking about religion uh, we say, hey, you know what, find whatever religion works for you, you know, whatever makes you happy. But that's different than the religion that comes from God because it's rooted in truth. It's rooted in truth. There is only actually one God who intervenes in the world, and he proposes a path to reconnect with him, find unity with him, and have that profound intimacy with him. And This is the study of religion. And there's only one. There's only one true religion, and that's different what the world says like, hey, there's a lot of different ways to find happiness and find whatever religion works for you. So, you know, there's always that question that we got to ask ourselves, where do we adopt worldly values, worldly ideas, and is that really true? is that really going to be good? Is that really healthy? Is that going to lead me to a beautiful life? Is that going to lead me to connect with God and have that that deep personal intimacy with, with the Lord? Am I really kind of living through a worldly lens, or am I living through a Christian worldview lens? These are big questions. The modern world is going to really try to confuse us up. So. Brothers and sisters, let's dive into Scripture. Let's dive into the tradition. Let's let's discover this person of Jesus, and let's make his mind our mind. Let us renew ourselves by the uh, renewal of our mind. Peace be with y'all. Give me a positive rating, an absolute five stars, or 500 stars, if that's even an option. Start with a friend. Peace be with y'all. May God bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Adios, amigos.